Well, it's cool to be with y'all again. New semester. Everyone's excited about school. Yeah. Mm, I see what you meant, Heather. People are, y'all don't like school? Y'all don't like learning? I really liked learning growing up. I, uh, I loved learning. I, I loved it, but I didn't necessarily want people to know that I liked it. Have y'all ever had that where you were kind of ashamed of something, but you didn't want, so you like hid it from people, but it was something that you really loved, so you didn't stop doing it. You just hit it. So there's a, there's a couple of people who feel that way. I'm calling all y'all liars because all of y'all, all of y'all have like something and you hit it. Like maybe you were a dude and you grew up like in like Powerpuff Girls or something. So Alex is one of them. Or maybe you like you used to play Pokemon all the time, but you don't want people to know that. Or like you still play Pokemon all the time. Huh? Or maybe, maybe you like to jam like Taylor Swift in the car, but you don't want people to know that. So you only do it when you're by yourself. But surely no person would hide their love for Nickelback, right? Because everyone loves Nickelback. Who doesn't like Nickelback? See, there wasn't one person. There was one person who raised his hand, but he said he was joking right afterwards. I saw it. Every, everybody, everybody likes something. But maybe sometimes we felt like we were ashamed of liking that thing. I don't know. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you all are just really bold like that. I have definitely been ashamed and definitely hit things. I had a friend in high school who, his name was Zach. I was telling some of you all on the ride to World Mission Summit about my friend Zach and how he got away with a lot of things. Zach was like the coolest guy around to me. He was so cool. And so whatever he thought was cool was what I tried to do. I remember I tried to date this girl, and I was like, I really liked this girl for a long time. And then I finally approached her, and then she was like, hey, yeah, I actually do like you, but I really like Zach even more, so I'm going to wait for him. And so I was like, dang. And I was like, man, Zach is pretty awesome. Zach was so cool, but... I hid so much from Zach because Zach didn't think learning was cool. He hid it. Oh, I hid it. He didn't care about school. I cared about school. I cared about, like, math. I was really good at math. I hid my AP courses. I hid. How many of y'all have done that where you make a certain grade and you hide it from the people around you because you don't want them to know how smart you are or how smart you think you are? (laughs) Or you hide the fact that you were in band because you're in band? Sorry, Christopher. Mm. Says the man who liked Powerpuff Girls. I'm sorry. I'm a Nickelback fan, so I, I proudly, I proudly say it. We're gonna look at Romans one sixteen tonight. One one six. I knew you would say that as soon as I said that. One one six. Romans one sixteen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, is what Paul says. Paul talks about the gospel and how it dominates his life and how this gospel is it's worth everything to him. And he says this in the face. He's writing to people who were in Rome. Rome is the ultimate power in the day when he's writing this. And Rome is where anybody who wants to be somebody is hanging out. If you're important, you're in Rome. And with all of Rome's pomp, with all of its status, with all of its weight, he says, 
I don't care what y'all think about the gospel. I don't even care if you're killing people who stand on the side of the gospel. I'm unashamed about it. And I will gladly give my entire life to it. Tonight, we're starting a really cool series where we're going to talk about convictions that we have here in Archi Alpha. We're going to go through convictions over these next few months. And these aren't, these aren't like little convictions where it's like, oh, okay, this is what we in Chi Alpha like to do. But, you know, is Miranda here? Other Miranda. Meadows. Hey, there's, there she is, Miranda Meadows. Miranda Meadows is about to graduate. But you know what? I don't know why I said that. You're about to graduate, too. Both of y'all are about to graduate. <laughs> Dang. I don't get that. Oh, talking about those whack vans. Because the ideal van was the best. Sorry, I'm done with the World Mission Summit jokes. Inside jokes. Killing y'all. Miranda Meadows is about to graduate and Miranda Gable. Our conviction here in Chi Alpha, a major conviction, is that what we talk about here wouldn't be good for college, but it'd be good for the rest of your life. That it would, it would be what, y- like, we are trying to follow Jesus, and we're trying to go in a direction where this is for everywhere. And what we do here is what we want to do all the time. That's the course we're trying to set. Bless you. And so, tonight, we're starting this conviction series that's based on not just Chi Alpha truths and not just things that we think are biblical truths, but things that God has highlighted over and over in Scripture and and made it pretty clear that these are important. So we want to understand it. We want to know how to do these things, and we want to know how to please Him in every way of our lives. And tonight, we're talking about the gospel. And the gospel, man... There's no reason for me to even be up here if, if there's no gospel. The gospel is the reason why we do everything. If the gospel was in here, this is, we're wasting our time, all of us. And so we're going to talk about that gospel, that gospel that Paul is saying, I'm unashamed. I'm unashamed about the gospel, and I'm willing to devote my entire life about it. In fact, not just willing, I do devote all of my life to it because it's worth it. And so he says in Romans 1, 1, 6, Verses six, well, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This, this verse, 116, is a very important verse. Any of y'all ever heard of Martin, Lu- Martin Luther or the Reformation? It was this verse that changed it. 116, this verse, the I Am Second movement that y'all know a lot of, uh, like, you know, movie stars and actors, and, well, they're the same as movie stars. But <laughs> politicians, a whole bunch of important people, they're a part of this movement. It's based around this verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I think we're going to have some fun tonight. I'm going to pray. And then we'll dive right in. Lord God, the gospel is everything. Help us to understand it. Help me to be clear. Open our minds so that we actually want to hear what you have to say about the gospel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This gospel 
it starts off kind of rough, and there's so much light at the end. But how many things do we do? Anything that's usually worth it, it's pretty tough at the beginning. And then the glory is at the end. And so that's what tonight will be. Why do I say that? Because first off, it says that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God. It is implying that we need to be saved. It imp- and, and does someone get saved if something bad isn't happening? You can't, you can't necessarily be, be saved unless you're in danger. Is, am, am I wrong? And it says that the gospel is the power of God. That word power is dunamis. It's a Greek word. It's where we get our word dynamite from. It is the power of God. It is the dynamite of God to bring us to salvation. Now, does anybody like to ski or to snowboard? Okay, there's a few hands up. Cold weather climate. I'd expect that. I'm from Texas. People don't ski or snowboard, so I was an anomaly down there. I love, man, you. <laughs> I love skiing and I love snowboarding. But I only snowboard. I don't know why I said that. I only like snowboarding. But skiing's cool too. I love it. But I found myself in a precarious situation on a recent trip I had snowboarding. So my family likes to snowboard. They don't play. They ski. They I'll just say ski the whole time. They like to ski. I like to do it too, but they, they're serious about it. They're all really good. So we go up to Canada, the place, uh, this place where they had the previous Winter Olympics. And so we go and ski there. Well, while we're skiing there, you know, Katie, you know, my wife Katie, she's like, hey, well, I'm going to go and do lessons today because I need to brush up on my skills. You can go ski with your family. And I was like, okay, cool. So I go and ski with them. We go down this run, which is one of my favorite runs on this mountain. It's on the side of the mountain. So the mountain's kind of over here and like, the main part is over here, and the side of the mountain is over here. So we go down the side. The side is really cool because that's where they had the men's downhill skiing for the last Olympics. It's really fast. It's really steep. It's really fun. We all do it. We tear it up. They're like, hey, let's go to the top. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the top. That's boring. I, I don't have a problem with the top. I just didn't want to go. And they're like, no, let's go to the top. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll go to the top with you all. So we go up to the top. You have to take three different ski lifts to get to the top. Three. So we go up the first one. We all fit into the ski lift. And then after that, there's five of us, and the ski lifts only fit four. So I get in the singles line and get up real fast. Well, as we get up, I'm noticing, I'm like, man, it is, it is kind of foggy up there. It's, like, kind of dense. But, hey, they want to go to the top, I'll go to the top with them. So we go up. While we're going up, while I go up, I don't see them when I get to the top. Well, I'm waiting for them at the top, and I don't see them. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait. And I'm like, well, maybe I didn't see them get off the lift. I'll just go ahead and go ahead. So I get on the next lift. Still don't see them. Wait. And so I'm like, well, I'll just go ahead and go. Maybe I meet them at the top. So I get on this last lift, and it has a sign. The previous run we were on was a black diamond. Is anybody familiar with skiing? You know what a black diamond is? That's like the second hardest. The hardest is what? A double black diamond. And they have a sign that's never there in front of this lift. And it says, double black diamond runs only. Because of winds and visibility, only double black diamond skiers only. 
And I'm like, well, I don't like Devil Black Diamonds. They don't like me. But my family's up there, so I'll go and follow them. Get up there, I don't see anything. I don't see, I can barely see anybody. The visibility is like 10 feet. So that's like from here to the wall. That's how far you can see in front of you. And I'm up here, and I'm like, man, I can't believe these. I can't, I can't believe that they're not here. This is a joke. I can't believe I'm up here by myself. And I'm not familiar with this side of the mountain at the top. So I'm like, well, I can go down really slow. And if I go down really slow, then I'll be all right. And then I was like, you know what? As I'm doing this, I'm going down, and I see, and I don't see anyone. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even know where I'm supposed to go. I don't even know which way is down, really. How about I just wait for the next skier to come? It'll probably be a local, and they'll know how to ski. It was a great idea. Saw someone come. I get behind him. I'm skiing down, and it's great. And then I didn't know that this dude was Lindsey Vaughn. I didn't know it was her brother because this dude turned on his jetpack and went from about 5 to 60 in 0.2 seconds, and then he was gone. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, man, no way. I'm here by myself. I can't see in front of me. My family left me here. They don't love me. This. <laughs> and so I'm going down, and I'm just like, I'll just go down real slow. And I'm going really slow. And then all of a sudden, I hit this patch with a lot of snow. And I just fall over, and I'm just like, ah, this is frustrating. I can't even see in front of me. I don't know where, where to go. And I look. And I see a cliff, a very steep cliff. It's eight feet in front of me. If I went over that cliff, I'd be a bear sandwich right now. And I wouldn't exist anymore. And they'd probably just be finding my body right now. It's a very big mountain. And in that moment, it hit me. Jordan, you were totally powerless to ski. All of your skill doesn't matter. All that you think you know doesn't matter. You're powerless. You can't see in front of you because of this fog. And you can't get yourself out of this situation skiing like you normally do because you don't even know where to go. Doesn't it suck to be in a situation where you are powerless? The Bible says that without the gospel, we are powerless. We are married to our sin, and we can't shake it. Or a better word is enslaved. We're enslaved. And I think this is one of the reasons why some people could be ashamed of the gospel. Because this isn't popular today. We don't want to hear this. We don't want to hear that we don't have our lives together. But the Bible says that our lives are not only polluted by sin, but we are paralyzed by sin as well. Even when we want to do right, we can't not, we can't not be sinful. Now, some of you are like, well, I'm kind of tracking with you. I, I guess that kind of makes sense. I've had some people where I've been able to build relationships with people, and I'll talk to these guys, and they're like, oh, man, Jordan, like, yeah, I know I'm sleeping around a bit right now, but I'm a, I'm a chill on that. I, I could stop doing that any second. And sometimes I'll talk to these guys, and, and that's exactly the case. They do stop. They stop sleeping around. But 
they don't stop doing something. They replace it with something else. So they, st- they go and they start working out four hours a day. And they get jacked. And that's what they live for. Or they meet this one girl and they let her be their entire life. Or they go and they make their whole life about school. So much so to the point that, you know, when they don't make a good grade, they're crushed and they're ruined. They're, they're finished. They're devastated. The reason I'm saying this is because we were made to worship something. That's what the Bible says. It says that we were made to, made to worship something. And if we don't worship God, something else will be on the throne of our heart. He says this really well in Romans chapter 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to his dishonorable passions. The wrath of God is a really scary idea. It's a really scary concept, but it actually makes sense. If the gospel is true, then the wrath of God has to be true. What is the wrath of God? Because a lot of people, a lot of Christians, we talk about, oh, okay, well, I'm saved. But we don't even know what we're saved from. It, t- it was a long time before I actually ever knew what I was saved from. I just thought I was saved. So what does it mean to be saved? When the Bible talks about us being saved, when it talks about this good news, this, the gospel, which means good news, when it talks about this, what does that mean? It's saying that we, it says we are saved from two things, it says. In Luke 171, it's one, chapter 1, verse 71, it says that we are saved from our enemies. And it says that all throughout the Old Testament. And we know Satan or the devil or whatever you want to call him, is an enemy to God, and all those on the side of him is an enemy to us. But it also says that we are saved from the wrath of God. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and it says it in Romans 5.9. We are saved from the wrath of God. What does the wrath of God mean? Winky Pratt, and he talked about this last semester, if you were here, and he, he did a way better job than I could ever do. But to come at it from a little different angle, the wrath of God, and he says it pretty clearly here, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. The wrath of God is this. It's God marrying us to our desires that are away from him. Anything that we are wanting to make ultimate in our life that's not him, he'll marry us to it. He'll let us have it completely. I was in Texas recently, as y'all already know. And while I was in Texas, some friends came with me. 
And these friends got to enjoy something that I grew up enjoying. It's a type of ice cream. It's really the only type of ice cream because every other ice cream is obsolete once you have it. It's called Bluebell. Has anyone ever had it? Bluebell is amazing. Growing up, I loved Bluebell. Who couldn't? Loved it so much that I would look at my parents and be like, what is wrong with y'all? Y'all have all this money and y'all go and waste it on salad and green beans and carrots and potatoes. If y'all were wise, y'all would go and get Bluebell and we'd live on that. That makes sense. I asked them for that and they didn't, you know, they're kind of thick, so they didn't, ta- they didn't pay any attention to me. But that was a great idea, wasn't it? Except because they loved me, (laughs) they didn't let that happen to me. Instead, they gave me vegetables, and they gave me potatoes and meat and things you actually need to stay alive. If they would have given that to me, that would have, if they would have given me what I actually wanted, it would have killed me. I not only would look like Shamu, but it would have literally (laughs) killed me. And that's, that is the wrath of God. It is God giving us totally over to other masters, to other things. Just so this is like clear. Our natures are polluted from the very beginning of our lives where we don't see clearly and we seem to want everything else but God, and honestly, what is right? I have a daughter, Zoe. I look at her. Zoe, I love Zoe, but right now, (laughs) Zoe's two years old. The only thing that matters to her is what she wants, and everything needs to be moved and changed in order to cater to her. We have to teach her what is right and what is true and what is good because she just, I'm, she, I'm, I can, I can, I can, look, I can tell you for sure, she did not come out, of the ro- come out of the womb saying, hey, can I serve you? Is there anything I can do for y'all? You know, I'm going to go to bed now. You know, y'all go and I've put things together for you. If you need anything, just come and get me. She didn't come out of the womb saying that. It was like, mine, sit, now, no, and a lot of yelling. That, that's, that's the world that Zoe lives in. And it's the same for us, just on a big people scale. We want what we want. And we desperately need to be saved from ourselves. I love the way Martin Luther put it. He said, we are saved. We said we are enslaved to sin, death, and the devil. I think I killed that quote, but that's generally, that's what we are saved from. Sin, death, and the devil. Death is just the result of sin. God said it in Genesis 3. If you do this, if you sin, you will die. That's it. And so Jesus has come here to give us a way out. I love how David Pawson put it. David Pawson is a Bible teacher. Sean loves him. A lot of us love him. He's a great Bible teacher. Man, if you go look up his YouTube videos, you'll understand a whole lot just from 20 minutes of watching whatever. Pick a topic. It doesn't matter. But he said, the word sin has dropped out of use. But we have to understand it to understand the gospel. Until you understand the wrath of God, you won't understand the love of God. It's as simple as that. 
God hates sin. It has ruined his creation for us all as well as for him. Until we realize that God hates sin, we will miss how much God loves sinners. The gospel is bad news before it can be good news. The gospel is bad news before it is good news. But it's the best news. So in order to be the best news, it probably has to be really bad on the front end. And it is really bad. You are a failure in this life without Jesus. Each and every one of you. We are all failures. I think it's another reason why people struggle with the gospel. Because we don't want to hear that. Sometimes I walk through campus and I find myself thinking, I find myself walking with all the people I walk around, and y'all in the same place. We walk by all these people, and everybody's trying to look good, and everybody's trying to wear this, and everybody's trying to impress this person or this group of people. Everybody's trying to go to this class or do this thing to prove themselves, to validate themselves, to make us seem like something. And I feel like we're on this treadmill. We're all on this treadmill, and we're all running on this giant treadmill together. And we do not want to fall down. Because if you fall down, what happens on a treadmill? You go back, and you go off. But if we fall down, then the worst thing possible happens. The thing that I am terribly afraid of, and I think each and every one of us are afraid of, you being found out, people seeing you for who you really are, people knowing that you don't have it all together, people knowing that you're not perfect. And the gospel tells us that we have to be okay with this before we can go anywhere. So that's the bad news. You're a failure, <laughs> and that is bad news, but there is an intense hope in this gospel, and there's a reason why Paul has given his whole life to it. It says that the, the gospel is the power of God unto everyone, right? No. No says to everyone who believes that is great news that is very good news why is it great news because that means that the gospel isn't for people who were born in a certain family or for are from a certain state or from a certain city or from a certain wherever it doesn't mean that the gospel is only for the people who look good it doesn't mean that the gospel is only for the people who have it all together or who've done enough or who've done a good enough job, who've earned it. It says the gospel is for everyone who believes. That, 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 that thing, believe, faith, that is for, that's at everyone's doorstep. It doesn't matter if you can run fast or run slow. It doesn't matter if you're strong or if you're weak. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter what you are. It is for everyone and available for, to everyone. It is the gospel 
to all. It is the power unto salvation for all who believe. In Isaiah, book of Isaiah chapter 54, there is this scripture that is one of the most beautiful scriptures in all of the Bible. A lot of people don't know about it, but we're going to look at it. And it's right after this part in Isaiah where it talks about Jesus and how Jesus was the one sent by God to go and take on the sin of the world. That wrath, you being given over to be enslaved totally to the masters that you love, that I love, that wrath was put on Jesus. And it talks about this hope that comes after that. And so it says here in verse 54, because of what Jesus has done, it says, it talks about this eternal covenant of peace. And it says, sing, O barren woman, who did not bear children, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have been in labor for the children of the desolate, desolate one will be more than the children of the one who is married. Wow. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? I bet you all got that. Wasn't that so good? Sing, O barren woman. Sing. Sing, O barren woman. Nobody really said anything, so maybe you all missed it. I'm a, I'll say, sing, O barren woman. Yes, sing, O barren woman. In that culture, your family was everything, especially for a woman. If you didn't have any children, you did not matter. You were disregarded, and you were kind of a shame and a mockery to your people. Sing, O barren woman, because it's a new day. In God's kingdom, with the power of his gospel, it is not like what everything else is telling us. The culture tells me, unless I look a certain way, or I dress a certain way, or unless so-and-so likes me, or unless I have this much money, or if I have, unless I have this career, or unless I have this degree, then I matter. But if I don't have that, then I don't matter. And then other religions tell me, well, if I, if I try this, and if I try that, and if I try this, and if I try that, then I matter. Then I'm significant. But the Bible says, believe. Trust him. And when you do that, everything changes. All of a sudden, total validation, total worth, total importance comes into your life. Salvation is like a marriage. When you marry someone... Especially back then, when you marry someone, you take on their status. Come on, girls. How many movies have y'all watched? Pride and Prejudice? Okay, not all of y'all, because some of y'all don't, don't, y'all don't like that, you know. But, but some of y'all, how many movies have you watched where this guy, this girl was in rags? Uh, Cinderella, maybe? Was in rags, unappreciated, not valued, when really she's this wonderful soul inside. And then... Prince Romeo, Charles, whatever, swings in on his rope and then says, hey, I'm the king of 40,000 countries and I have so much money that I don't even know what to do with it all. Do you want to be my wife? And then she's like, yes, you know, and she falls in his arms and they fly away forever, happy forever. 
This is, this, is, this is the same thing. This is what God is saying. He's coming in on his robe in his special little outfit with all his nations on him. I know, I know this is a ridiculous, ridiculous example, but it is, this is exactly what, this is what the Bible is saying. When you trust him, you immediately have this status where your whole life, Jordan, you have been a failure, and all of these failures have marked you. And yeah, you, Jordan, <laughs> look, you did used to go out and do this, but now you're trying to be a better person, so instead you do this, but you're still missing it. You're still not able to come through and be who you wish you were. I can come in and change all of that. I can not only give you status and worth and importance, but I can actually give you the power to no longer be enslaved to all the things that you were enslaved to. I can actually free you from that. It says that, um, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. But then what does it say after that? It says that his righteousness is revealed. The gospel won't make sense that much if you see it from this vantage point of, oh, it's about me. It'll make a whole lot of sense if you see it from the vantage point of, oh, it's about you. His righteousness is revealed in the gospel. What is his righteousness? It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He initiated this. We didn't, have anything to, we didn't have anything to trade with. I love the story of Hosea. Beautiful story. Man goes and marries a woman who has a propensity to sleep around. Well, when they get married, what does she do? Well, she starts to sleep around with everyone but him. And then she leaves him completely and goes and gives herself to lovers who don't even value her. She becomes, she was a prostitute. She becomes so worthless that he bought her back for practically nothing because that's how sullied and used and ruined she was after being with so many people. She was worthless as a prostitute. And he goes and buys her back, brings her back into his home and takes her in and loves her as if she never left. That is the gospel. You had nothing to trade with. You didn't convince God, oh, God, I, okay, once I pray this one special prayer, then you'll show up. You had nothing to trade with. There's no reason for him to come and initiate this, but it says that God sent his only begotten son for you to go and die the death you should have deserved and to go and take on the result of the actions and decisions you've made He took that on himself so that you would have everlasting life with him. That's what John 3.16 says. This wonderful, beautiful, amazing God initiated and started all of this. This is pretty crazy to me because, you know, I'm reading the Bible and I'm thinking about this stuff and I'm like, man, this seems too good to be true. It's like, it's like reading a Disney or watching a Disney movie. This is just too good to be true. This can't be reality. But the fairy tale is true. It is. 
Why do I say that? Because all the people who walked with Jesus, all the people who walked with him, right up to the moment that he, they, they were with him, they were by his side. They were like, Lord, we'll never leave you. We'll never, we'll never lie. We'll never do anything. We're by your side forever. As soon as he got taken to be put on the cross, they all scattered and they took off. And they were like, man, it ain't worth it. But it doesn't just say that he died on the cross. What does it say? It said that he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, something happened to all those people who bailed on him. They came back and preached about him. But they didn't just come back to him and preach about him for a few months. They all went to a martyr's death. My favorite gospel, the gospel of Luke, I was reading about it in a book that Sean told me about. It's called The Martyr's Mirror. Some of y'all know about that. Dalton, you know about that. Really sweet book. It's kind of like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Talked about how some of the people in the early church died. Said that Luke, the person who wrote the book of Luke, was tied in chains and hooks, hooks, like fish hooks. They tied it into his skin and they dragged him around the city of Alexandria until through loss of blood, he died. You don't, you don't write something. You, you don't die for something that's not true, for something you don't believe. I'm coming to a close. As I come to a close, this is kind of like a bit of a heavier message just because, you know, it's, we have to deal with a little bit about what's going on in here to talk about the beauty of what's up there and how the two meet. And so it's kind of a, it's a little, little tough topic. But as we come to a close, there are two groups of people here. And I want to say something to each one. There's one group of people who is a group of people like me. You choose to identify as a follower of Christ. And it is your desire to put your faith in Jesus in this gospel. Jesus, Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, the gospel, these demand a pretty drastic response, a radical response, really. We can't respond tepidly to this gospel. We can't be like, ah, well, you know, I kind of just do Christianity. We can't put it on the shelf with other things and say, ah, yeah, I got this ticket to heaven. I'm good. I'm good to go. I'm comfortable. You know, I, 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 I did that. And now, you know, I just, I just live life. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There's no such thing as a tepid response to Jesus. It can't be. If he is who he said he was, which was he said, I am God, come down, not he didn't say, I am a sage or another prophet to show you the way of God. Because that's what, that's what other religions have said. Some, someone, has, someone has said, I am here to show you the way to, go, the way to God. Jesus says, no, no, no. I am God. Come made flesh so that I can find you. Because you would never find me unless I found you. And so he comes here and he says this. And he says, okay, this is my gospel. And I have given everything for you. What How do you want to respond? And Paul models it for us. He says, I have given everything for this gospel. Everything. 
Just read the first chapter of Romans, the first half of it. It says like four or five different times everything I've given for this gospel, and it is so worth it. My suggestion, my encouragement, is that we don't respond tepidly to this. That we would be unashamed. You know, as I was thinking about this, I got to be honest with you, I was really bothered preaching this. Because I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I found myself being like, man, this is not me. Some of these convictions we have are convictions that we that we model to y'all and it this is this is where we want to this is this is what we're about and some of these convictions are things that if we are honest with ourselves maybe we haven't let this dominate our lives the way that it ought to and this one for me really bothered me because I thought about how often I've been unashamed I let the way that culture or I let the way that media talks about Christianity or I let the way that my professor or whomever, I let what they say about, or my friends, what they say about Christianity dominate how I respond. So I respond just like I did with Zach when I was a kid, hiding what I really am in order to impress this, this other kid. Will we be unashamed for the gospel? Will we lay off the chains of comfortable Christianity to go and let ourselves look different and to stand for something? Or will we be cowards? Like I can say that I honestly have been doing nothing, sitting on the sidelines, bless you, watching other people stand and fight and represent what I've been too ashamed to say I'm about. And there's another group. There's another group of people who mm, you don't really know what to believe. And you're here because you're curious. God initiated this with you. This gospel is not the gospel for all people. It is the gospel for you. It was for you. There was no one else here. It'd still be the gospel for you. God knows each and every one of us better than we even know ourselves. We would hate to ever see a a movie of our lives playing in this room. And for people to know our deepest, darkest secrets, we would hate that. And God knows that about you. And he still did this. He still initiated this. And he is still calling you. And it is not a gospel for perfect people. Because it wouldn't be a gospel for anyone if it was. It's a gospel for people who say, you know what? I don't have it all together. And I'm willing to say this. And I'm willing to say The way that I was trying to go, the way I'm trying to go down the mountain is not safe and it's not good. So I'll follow you. And what you say, I'll I'll seek that. And all he asked for is that you trust him. That you would follow him. That you trust him. And this is for everyone. Everyone who does not know what you believe yet. I hope y'all don't see this as a negative message. Katie, you can go ahead and come down. It's not. 
It's actually a beautiful message. It's only negative if we can't make peace with the fact that we don't have it all together. Even if you are a believer and a follower of God, do not pick up the chains of self-justification where you go and try to prove yourself still to God and to everyone else. Accept the fact that you don't have it all together. Accept that and, and rejoice in it because there is this God who loves you anyways and who desperately wants you anyways, and he has made you valuable. He has swung in on his rope, <laughs> and with all of his status, he has offered that to you, and he has said, Though you were the lowest of lows, like Hosea's wife, mm, mm, I want you to have the status of the triune God. And I want that to be what marks your life. That's worth giving up comfortable Christianity. That's worth giving up tepidness and responding to him. It's worth everything because... Paul said that this gospel has given me everything and so I will give everything to this gospel and I want to be on the side of the unashamed. Let's pray. Father God, your gospel is it and it's about you. It's not even about how well I'm able to say what I had to say tonight. It's bigger than that. This is nothing. You are everything. Us and you. That's all that matters. Lord, help us to respond and give you everything. And for those who have not yet responded, give us the strength to lay off the chains that have shackled us for so long. Free us, Lord God, to have your freedom. Free us, Lord God, to accept your freedom and your love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.